I'm so glad you're here today. We have people from far and wide, people that have been spying on us from South Africa, not looking at anybody in particular over this direction, who arrived for our first time today. So it's so good to see you guys. If you'd like to take out your notes, we're in a series. And I highly encourage you, make sure you've got these notes because you're going to need them. We've been looking at the nine tests that Daniel and his friends went through. And these are the same nine tests that you will go through in your life. And we've looked at the first four. The first one was a test of what was it? Can you remember what the first test was? It was a test of major change. He was effectively uprooted and taken away as a POW. His whole, left his family, left everything. He was completely disoriented and moved to a brand new country. He was deported. That's the first test, major change. The second test was the peer pressure test. Remember? When all the people were eating the same food, and Daniel got up and said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. He stood up against the crowd, and he didn't give in to peer pressure there. The food, follow the food crowd. The third one was a challenge to his faith. And that's when your beliefs are belittled. We looked at that. We're put down. And last week, Martin apparently gave you a marathon. I listened to the, uh, uh, the MP3, and you had three pages of notes. Well, today you've only got two, so you're doing good. You're going to be out of here as long as you pay lots of good attention, because this is really important. We looked at the impossible assignment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Today, we're going to look at something very, very important. Watching what you worship. Watching what you worship. I want to pick this up. This is 15 years later. Even though a week's gone by between this week and last week, 15 years has gone by in the life of Daniel. So Daniel and the boys are about 30 now. That's where about they are when they're going to face the next big test, a big jump from 15 to 30. And the picture is Nebuchadnezzar was still the emperor in the vast Babylonian empire, the most powerful man in the world. But what came along with that is a whopping great ego. Big position, big ego. Let's pick it up. Daniel chapter 3 on the screen. Nebuchadnezzar made a giant gold image of himself 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon now this friends is what you call a giant ego trip you build a 90 foot statue to yourself and you set it up in the plain then he gave this order to all his officials to the princes the prefects by the way this is an order pecking order The Bible doesn't miss a trick. The princes, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and the other officials. Eight levels of officials there. To come to the official dedication of the statue that he, Nebuchadnezzar, had set up. And they all assembled and announced a shout out. People of all races, nations, and languages, this is the king's command. Anytime you hear the royal orchestra start playing music, you will all immediately to drop everything, fall to your knees, and bow and worship this image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now what Nebuchadnezzar is really saying is, it's not enough for me to be the king. I want everybody to worship me. I want to be God, little G. And anyone who does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a giant blazing furnace. 
So as soon as they heard the music, everybody bowed down before the statue and worshipped the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now this story happened about two and a half thousand years ago. But it is as relevant today because we have the same four things in our culture today. And you may want to just quickly write these down. Every day, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. It creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. We don't worship things of gold. But today, the world wants you to idolize physical beauty. It wants you to idolize wealth. Reverence and awe for wealth. Well, she, she's beautiful. Or success. Or popularity. Wow, that is so popular. Give reverence there. So the world creates larger than life images for me to worship. Secondly, I'm tempted to create a false image of me to impress others and myself. Any time I spend building image can be quickly become idol building. It's all about me. Have you ever met anybody in your life that idolizes themselves? Now, don't look at them. The telltale sign is they think that the world revolves around them. You have to hop to their agenda. You have to hop to their priorities. Adjust your schedule to their needs. That's a kind of ego and prideful narcissism that is rampant in our culture. Now, I'm not talking about doing the best. That honors God. But trying to portray yourself as something you're not. A good place to look for this, to see some telltale signs, is perhaps social media. A picture-perfect life. If you want... You're wanting everybody to check it out and like it, and then you're terribly disappointed if people don't do that. The third thing that's still true today is if I reject the world's idols and images, people will try to burn me. They'll try to burn me. Not physically, but in other ways. If I reject what the world says you should worship, I want to suggest to you, you're going to start to feel the heat. Let's pick it up, Daniel 3.8, on the screen. But some Babylonian officials used the opportunity to denounce the Jews. They told the king, oh, great king, grease up, grease up. We hope you live forever, not likely. But the Jewish officials you put in charge of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have defied your decree. They have refused to serve your gods. And, that's the first thing, and there's an and conjunction here. They refused to bow down and worship your image. Two things they're accusing him of there. That you set up. So, they should be burned in a blazing fire. How's that? For workmate loyalty. These guys were saved by Daniel and those three guys not long ago, but they've conveniently forgotten about that. Loyalty from your office co-workers. Remember, again, Daniel had saved their lives, but people tend to forget these things. Perhaps these officials were motivated 
by racism. No, they are Jews. Or jealousy. Gee, I wish I had their position. Or bigotry to foreigners. Remember, because these guys were imports. Maybe they're just bigoted. There are people in this world and in your world who will be offended when you do not conform. There are people in your world who will be offended when you don't conform. There are people at work who will burn you, especially when you stand up for God's values and you refuse to go with the flow what the crowd does. Maybe that's on, well, you name the subject, but you know the subjects that have come up already at university, at work, even with your neighbor, even with friends. You can feel them. You don't go with me, I'm going to burn you. I'm going to singe this relationship. Maybe these guys are just jealous. I'm not trying to burn them. Or they're competitive. They just pull them down. They, maybe they want your job. Or maybe this pawns used in the hands of Satan because Satan hates and is against people who honor the name of Jesus and God. By the way, quick FYI, where was Daniel when all this happened? All the commentators suggest he's probably on another king's assignment, perhaps out of the country. So these guys saw an opportunity because they wouldn't try and pull a stunt like that if Daniel was there. So it's still true today. Number four, doing the right thing makes some people angry. You need to accept that. Doing the right thing is going to make some people angry, some very angry. Some people get ticked off when you tell the truth. What happened? And you tell the truth, they're going to get ticked. And you won't lie and you won't go with the flow. Some people get hacked off. When you stand up for somebody who's been unjustly picked on at your work and you take their side, even though you may not even know them, but you know the right principle to stand for, and they'll start to get ticked with you. Some people get angry when you stand for Christ as, as his ambassador and you do the right thing, not the convenient thing. Now, this test we're going to look at today involved Daniel's three te- uh, best friends. And because of their faith, they dared to challenge Nebuchadnezzar's narcissism. And they were basically saying, they acknowledged one thing. They said, sure, you may be king, but you are not God. And some of you guys need to understand that from your boss. Sure, you may be my boss, but you are not God and you do not control my life. Get your life back. You are set free to serve Jesus, not to be slaves to your earthly bosses unduly. You work hard, you put in your effort. You don't steal from the boss, you show up for work on time, but he doesn't get the right to own your life. And that's what they were saying. You may be king, but you are not God. God is God and you are not. Now, any time you challenge somebody with a big ego or pride, expect to get an angry response. Expect it. So this is what it comes. Being a Christian is not for snowflakes. I want to be real clear about that because there's misapprehension. It's all about me. No, it's not. This story shows us three kinds of people that you're going to see in your life. 
you get the stuck up kind of people. You know, I am the greatest. I am God. The world revolves around me. They are those stuck up people. It's all about them. Then you're going to get other people in your life that are kiss-ups. You know what kiss-ups are? You know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the insecure folk in your life who tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to know. They're too scared to say anything lest they rock the boat. They're the kiss-ups, the greasers. That's old language. And then you've got the other ones, which these three are. These are the stand-ups who refuse to bow down to a bad idea or where the crowd's going and they know it contradicts what God would want. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are stand-ups. When everybody else is falling flat on their face and just mindlessly worshipping, they're standing up. Question, which type are you? Are you a stuck-up? And everything's all about you? Are you a kiss-up? You're always afraid to ruffle anybody's feathers, so you're telling them all the nice things, not the other side of it. Or are you a stand-up with the courage of your convictions? Those stand-ups have rock-ribbed courage and integrity. And these are the people that it doesn't matter if anybody agrees or not, you will do the right thing. But you do it humbly, you do it quietly, politely, without bragging, but you do the right thing. So why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow down when everybody else is doing it? Everybody else is kneeling. Well, firstly, quickly, that will break the first two commandments. That's the reason why. There's no way in God's green earth I'm going to do that. They're saying, Exodus 20, verse 3, you, you, me, you, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Hmm, seems to be a problem here. In the form of anything in heaven or above on the earth or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. How much clearer can you get? Here's another one. You shall keep the marriage bed pure, undefiled. No sex before marriage. Is there anything unclear about that? Very clear. Will you bow? Or will you stand? The very reason these guys were POWs in the first place is their parents and ancestors had ignored the first two commandments and broken them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. That's why they were in captivity. So when Nebuchadnezzar hears about his three governors refusing to bow down, he gets into it in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. And then the king asked, now by the way, I've got to give him credit here, he's not just going on some hearsay. He says, get here. Is this true? He's checking the facts. So that's one good thing he did do. Is it true that the three of you refuse to, one, serve my gods, or, B, worship the gold statue that I set up. Hmm. I will give you one more chance. Now, if you bow down and worship the statue, all will be well. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. 
So Nebuchadnezzar, remember his ego is huge. He's considering himself above all gods. And then he asks, now this question, for what god will be able to rescue you from my power then? I'll show you who is God. That's exactly what he's saying. Now today, what should I do when the heat's on? To give you affections and your allegiance to something other than God. Because it's on every one of us. Today we're going to look at the four things these guys did right. And the six things God will do if you trust him. What should I do when the heat's on? When you go to work, the heat's on because you're a Christian or for choosing and doing the right thing. Number one, don't worry about defending myself. Don't worry about defending myself. Trust God to take care of your attackers. This is what these guys did. Look, this is a pattern, an example of how they dealt with the heat and how God moved. Daniel 3.16, Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. We're not worried. God has made clear boundaries. Clear boundaries. And not, so it's what not to do, but also what to do and a mandate. So your threats don't scare us. And therefore they chose to be faithful to God no matter what happened. Second, remember, and don't forget this, it's easy for you and it's easy for me to forget that God has the power to save us in any mess. So it doesn't matter what kind of mess or difficulty you're in. It does not matter. God is God and you are not. And he can do anything. Daniel 3.17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we worship is able, that's true, to save us. We'll get to the next part soon. Number three, believe you will save me. When you're in a crisis and your whole life feels like it's just coming apart, unraveling, you not only have to believe that God has the ability, well of course he does. The moment he created the universe, no miracle is off the table. Not that he's just able, but that he can and he will and expect it. Daniel 3.17, his boy said this, and he will save us from your power, O king. That's what they boldly declared. There are hundreds of promises and situations in the scriptures of deliverance and rescue in the Bible. Isaiah 43 gives you one. Look at this great verse. We'll come back to this later. We'll circle back. When, circle that word when, when you go through the deep water, deep water you can't touch the ground, and great trouble, I will be with you. You're not alone. We sung about that today. When, circle again, you go through the rivers of difficulty. You try to walk across a river, it is very, very difficult. Because your feet get taken out from under you. Next minute, you're the mercy of the river. You will not drown. When, third when, when you walk through the fire of oppression. Ever felt that fire of oppression? You will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. For, this is the reason why, I'm the Lord your God. Then based on those three things, I'm not worried. I know what God can do, and I know what I'm expecting him to do it. Now, number four, this is what they did. Notice they did this. Announce my loyalty to God no matter what. 3.18. But even if, I love this. This to me, these guys have crossed the line. This is not about the benefits. 
This is about the cost of discipleship. But even if God doesn't save us, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue. See, they're directly uh, uh, responding to his challenge. Well, if you, if you serve my God and you bow down, or you, one or the other, I'll let you off. And there they go. They don't duck. They don't dive the question. They don't sugarcoat it. They go, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Ooh. So Nebuchadnezzar is in no doubt as to what the attitude of these guys is. Their mind is made up. Quick sidebar, actually, God saves, delivers, or rescues in three types of different ways I've seen in my life. Just a quick brief one on the screen. Sometimes God saves us from a crisis. He can do that sometimes. He can send you on a divine detour that you missed the thing. You go, wow. You can get redirected by God. He helps us avoid the fire sometimes. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. So we walk through the fire, and he gives us the strength to handle the problem, as we just read before in Isaiah 43. You remember? And sometimes God saves us by the crisis. Now let me explain that. 1 Peter 6 and 7 says this nicely. Better than I could, because these are God's words, not mine. You won't hear this in many places today, but notice this is God's word. It may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. Why? Because of the many trials you suffer. Their purpose. Hang on. So there's trials and purpose. You may want to circle trials and purpose and put a link between the two. There's a tr purpose in trials. Is to prove that your faith is genuine. Not fake faith. Even gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire. So, your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must also be tested. Are you being tested right now? Are you being tested by apathy? Are you being tested by oppression? Your faith will be tested. Why? It tells us next few words, so that it may endure. Then, when you pass, you will receive glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. Folks, if I can't get anything else through to you today, it's this, your faith will be tested. Stand strong. Use these guys as an example and learn from them how they did this. Why does God allow me to go through pain on this planet? Friends, God is far more interested in your character in your comfort, in your sanctification, in your salvation, then, let me be clear, in your security. Today, people have made a God out of security. Financial security, job security. Do not put your hope in any of these. Why? Because the scripture says. says don't put your hope in worldly wealth, which is so uncertain. We could go on with that, but we haven't. We're going to keep going. You and I know people who are headed in the exact opposite direction to God. They were nut, 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 nut. Then maybe they went through a bankruptcy. Painful to lose everything. Maybe they went through a divorce. Agonizing that. 
Maybe you went through the loss of a loved one, and somehow in the middle of that fire, it got their attention, and they came to Christ. Now, question, was that problem worth it? Of course it was. I went through the loss. I went through the heartache of having a father who absolutely did nothing for his boys and chose his alcohol over his children and his wife and felt that rejection and that could crush a lot of people but through that would I go through it again to, to know the Lord in a heartbeat in a heartbeat was the problem worth it absolutely because it saved me and my brothers and my mother for eternity now, these three guys arose, this problem arose because it directly challenged Nebuchadnezzar's claim to divinity. 3.19 on the screen. Nebuchadnezzar became so furious that his face distorted with rage. Ever seen that? Have you seen that in your office? Have you seen that in your home? Where somebody is so angry, their face changes? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. A bit OTT, but anyway. I have learned, though, from experience, the more extreme, the more over-the-top your attacker, the more insecure they are. 320 on the screen. Then the king ordered some of his strongest soldiers to bind their hands and feet with ropes and throw them into a blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully clothed, but because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the flames leapt out and killed soldiers as they threw them in, uh, the three in. But securely tied up, they fell down through the top into the flames of the furnace. Now, what happens when I trust God inside the furnace? And this story shows us six benefits of when you have faith in the furnace. When you're going through the fire, when the heat's on your life, when you feel that everything's coming at you, and some of you in this room today, could I suggest you, are probably feeling like hell right now because of some of the things that are going on in your life. And you need to know these six things. Number one, if I trust God, God will walk with me through the fire. Big relief right there. You do not need to do this alone. First revelation to me. When my father left and I came to know Jesus, I knew I didn't have to go through this alone. 324. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and asked his advisors, didn't we throw, tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, we did, they said. Well, look, now, he shouted. You can see four men now, unbound, walking around freely in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth war man looks like a son of the gods. Now, this guy is clearly not human. Three went in. And even Nebuchadnezzar realized, whoa, even in this fire, he looks very different. Now, he certainly wasn't a son of the gods. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the son, the son of God, Jesus one of the many times where he appears in the Old Testament. See, Jesus has always said to us, and we sang again at that today, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you in the fire. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age. 
Well, flipping back to that promise that we talked about earlier in Isaiah 43:2, when you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned, and the flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. Note, it is when and not if. You will have trouble. Second benefit, if I have faith in the furnace, God will burn off everything that's tying me down. The only thing that got burnt off in that fire, notice, were the man-made ropes. Question. What is holding you back? What's got you tied up? Why you can't be part of building God's kingdom on this earth. What's tying you up? God may take you through some fires to burn off limitations. Because I found that pain never leaves you where it found you. Extreme heat can have a positive effect, especially medically. Extreme heat can be used to quarterize uncontrollable bleeding. That's called a refining fire. In Isaiah 48.10, he says this, I have refined you, but not in the way silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of, what's the next word? Suffering. Now, you're probably not going to go through a literal fire in your life, but you are going to go through the furnace of suffering many times in your life. That's going to refine you. And this verse shows us plainly that God tests us in the furnace of suffering. James says, why are you so surprised? He's like, come on, get with the program. Rather than complain, our response should be to trust God in faith for the strength to endure. Very important word in Scripture. And rejoice in our sufferings. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you want to look at that, by the way, a bit of study this afternoon. Two verses I want to commit to you. Romans 5, 3. You may want to write that out. And James 1, 2, through 4. Write those down so you don't forget. Romans 5, 3 and James 1, 2, 3, 4. Not any of that, I'll just give you one of them here. Not any of that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces what? Not belly aching. Woe is me. I've been challenged on that this week. First Thessalonians 5. It says, always rejoice. Not when I feel like it. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. Whoa, that's a challenge. So endurance. Now, without testing, we can never learn to endure. Endurance is important. And without refining, we will not become more pure like Christ. Number three, if I trust God when the heat is on, God will give me new freedom. You're not going to come out of that fiery furnace weighed down. You're going to come out with some new liberty and new freedom. You're not so bound up. The Bible is full of examples of this. What other people have meant to hurt you, to destroy you, to enslave you, God can use to liberate you. Amazing. Interesting verse in Psalm 66, verse 12. It says, you, speaking of God, let captors put set foot on our neck. In other words, ah, we're under the gun here, mate. Then we went through the fire and water, 
and you let us out to freedom. Whoa. The psalmist here is recognizing that even though God had tested Israel with all kinds of burdens and oppression, yet God sovereignly brought them to a place of freedom. He used it to refine them. Some of you are at school or at uni or at work and with your neighbors are so afraid and bound up by other people's opinions and political correctness and you're so afraid of their disapproval, you will cave in and agree with a popular stand rather than saying and standing and doing the right thing. Some of you can't stand to have somebody say a bad word about you because you think you have to be loved by everybody. That is not true. That's a lie. Jesus was not loved by everybody. He's our standard. Friends, I want to say this as clearly as I can. You do not need your friend's approval to be happy. If God likes me and I like me, they've got a problem. God provides freedom to be weaned off. Listen to this carefully. God provides freedom to be weaned off the addiction of approval of other people. The Bible puts it this way. Even in the Old Testament, the, uh, um, the fear of man is a snare, is a trap. Because next minute you're in a corner and you can't get out easily. You don't need their approval to be happy. Number four, if I trust God when the heat is on, God will use my faith as a witness. Here it is. So even before Nebuchadnezzar thought of making an idol, God already knew the outcome of this confrontation. And you're going to have confrontations. Daniel 3, 26. Let's move on. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door. So this, th this furnace was kind of like had a hole in the top and there was a door down the bottom. He came as close to the door and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now notice this. Servants of the Most High God. You know in the circle, we sang about that again this morning. Most High God. That's remarkable. Where did that come from? After all, it was true, remember, remember this, it was true that God had allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come down, grab these Jews, and even take the special instruments and gold out of the temple. But no way could his gods deliver anybody from this furnace. So here we have a pagan king in front of everybody admitting, well, obviously, Yahweh is the real deal. And these pagan gods were fake. The king clearly recognizes, notice, the unusual nature of Yahweh. He can do this. He's just done it. But, as yet, he doesn't acknowledge him as his personal God. Come out! Come out at once, he says. So the three men stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, the prefects, the governors, the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not the hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. I can't even do a barbecue without thinking of smoke. <laughs> These guys had faith that was not just unshakable, they were unbakable. And by the way, for those of you who are interested in trivia, the phrase most high God occurs 13 times in Daniel, more than any other book apart from the Psalms, and seven occurrences pertain to Nebuchadnezzar. Clearly, their bold faith had acted as a witness to a pagan king. Number five, 
If I trust God when the heat is on, God can use my unwavering commitment to bring unbelievers to God. Now, how you handle pain, folks, how you handle pressure, how much you trust God when you're under the gun and the heat's on, may be some of your most powerful witness and testimony to those people around you who are looking, not even unbelievers, but younger believers who are looking to see how you endure and don't wilt under the heat. Notice how these guys impressed the most powerful emperor of the day. Verse 28. Then the king said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted him. Circle that. One day I hope on my epitaph, they can put, Kimberly, Ian trusted Jesus on my tombstone. They defied my command and they were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any God except Jesus, except their own God. So when somebody says, is the God of Islam the same as the God of Christianity? The first question you should say, does the God of Islam look like Jesus Christ? If it doesn't, it's not the same God. There's a whole bunch more behind that. We could spend an hour on that alone. Not the same characteristics. It is not the same God. And these guys knew that. Nebuchadnezzar was making a personal, uh, was not, should I say in this case, not making a personal commitment here to serve the Hebrew, Hebrews God alone. Instead, he was acknowledging that God was powerful, this God, and he commanded his people not to speak against that God. But I noticed something very interesting, which is so common today. Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell the people to throw away all the other gods, but add this one to the list. Hmm. Sounds like our culture today. I want success, I want wealth, I want prosperity, I want power, I want all these things and pleasure and, and position and all these things, but I want to make God to that. No, there's only one place for one. There's only one place for number one, alone. There's only one number one. Daniel 3.29. Therefore I make this decree, new decree, because the old one was to bow down to the image, the new one, new, new decree. If anyone says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be put to death. Their houses will be destroyed. Now notice, he still hasn't lost his dictatorial tendencies here. There is no other God who can save anyone like this. And 2,500 years later, that statement is still true. Have you figured that out yet? Who or what have you been expecting to bail you out? Your company? The government? Your money? Friends, if you didn't need a saviour, God would not have wasted the time sending Jesus. Just a few months ago, we celebrated Christmas. For unto you this day is born a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross 
it wasn't necessary. There is no other way you will get into heaven without a saviour. And Acts 2.12 clearly states this. Salvation is found, listen to this, don't back off on this at work. Don't, don't feel the pressure. Don't feel, you know, stand up against it, stand strong. Acts 2.12, uh, 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. Don't back off on that. Don't be politically correct. It's wrong. There is no salvation in anybody else. For there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. You look it up. Acts 4.12. Doesn't matter what else you put your trust in, nothing else will save you. So, the three boys passed that test. And as has been a pattern being, for the last four Sundays, they got a promotion. Then, the verse says, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. They pass the test, they get the promotion. Sixth and finally, if I have faith in the furnace, if I give my worship to none other, my allegiance, and trust God when the heat is on, God will reward my faith in heaven. There are going to be rewards in heaven. Now, sometimes we're not very clear about this. Depending upon how much you have trusted God. So it's not relied on yourself. This is trusted God. This has nothing to do, so we're very clear, with salvation. It has to do with after your salvation. So you're saved. Let's say you are saved. This is after, not the basis for it. It is after. How much are you trusting God today and for the rest of your life? The Bible has to say this. We're all building a life. And it says two final things. We get to choose. Everybody in this room gets to choose one, the foundation. You get to choose. And two, you get to choose the building materials. Let's pick it up, 1 Corinthians 3.10. Each of us must be careful how we build our lives. Because Christ is the only found solid foundation. All those many that say, build on me, build on this, build it on your career. Doesn't matter. Christ is the only solid foundation. Whatever we build on that foundation, so after we're saved, build on that. Whatever we put, we put on that now will be tested by fire. If what we built, and he's talking about your life and my life after we're saved, after the fire's gone through, if it's left standing, if, if, and it's an if, we will be rewarded. But, well, let's look at the opposite of this. If what we've built is burnt up, it was worth nothing. It was all about me, my kingdom, my security, my priorities. If what we've built is burnt up by fire, we will lose our reward. Black and white. Yet, we will be saved. We won't lose our salvation, but you lose all your reward. Like someone, you'll be saved. Like someone escaping through the flames. In other words, by the skin of your teeth. Just the very bare minimum. So Christ will evaluate each person's contribution to the life of his church, whether you're in a church of 20,000 or whether you're in a church of 22. This is his bride has many cells all over the world. Each are vital. 
And then Judgment Day will reveal the sincerity of each person's work. Or was it a facade? God will, be de- God will determine whether or not a person has been faithful to Jesus' instruction. And good work will be rewarded. Unfaithful or inferior work will be discounted. And I want you to get great reward in heaven. As your pastor, that is my joy. How do you get him? By trusting God in the fire. By doing it his way. By not wilting and giving in and giving your allegiance and your affection to the things of this world. By caring about more what God says than what everybody else says in this world and worships. Let's bow our heads. As we close, I've got a question for you, and that's this. Where are you feeling the heat these days? The pressure to conform and to do what everybody else is doing and to worship the false idols and images in our culture. I want to challenge you, friends, to pass this test. The same way that these three guys did. Why don't you say, dear God, you know the tests of my faithfulness to you right now, of my loyalty. Not only do you know the ones I'm facing now, you know the ones I'm going to face in the future. And I want to be like these men. I'm not going to worry about defending myself when I'm attacked. I'm going to remind myself that you have the power to help me and to endure the heat no matter how big the pressure seems. Lord, I want to say to you, I'm not going to worship the false images of our culture, no matter what anybody else thinks. I know you'll walk with me through the fire, Lord, and I'm thankful that I'm never alone. Father, would you burn off the things that are tying me down and bring in my heart and in my life a new sense of freedom? I certainly do not want to be tied up and manipulated by the approval of other people. I want to be fearless for you, Jesus. I want to be willing to stand up for you. And God, I'm asking you to use my pressure and the pain and use the problems I go through to bring unbelievers to you and to develop strong character in me, a character that endures and doesn't wilt. Father, would you give me a faith that other people will observe and want to imitate? Help them see me trusting you when things don't make any sense and may it encourage them to want to trust you. Thank you, Lord, that I'll be rewarded in heaven for trusting you when it didn't make sense, when it seemed unpopular. And today, whether this be the first or the fifth time, You say to Jesus Christ, become the manager of my life, be the Lord. Would you say, I want your plan and your purpose for my life, not my own. And I want you to use me to bring your plan and your purposes to other people, not just for myself. I humbly ask that you accept me into your family, and I pray this in your powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit will challenge each of us. He's challenging me to conform us to the image of Christ. God bless you.